amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Still in the basement, no longer alone, with my homegirl Therese on the microphone. Music politics are just chatting it up. Brunch in the basement, see that's what's up. You never know who might run through. Legendary artist or someone brand new. You miss a lot when you miss one day. At least that's what I heard somebody say. But it doesn't really matter what whoever says. It's always a good show with Javon and Therese. Yeah. Brunch in the basement with Javon and Therese. Yeah. Let's see who we got today or what we doing today or whatever it is, it's going to be good. Woo! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Jane Elliott. But you two talk, you two talk. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? You can hear me, but you can't, but I can't hear you. I can't hear anyone. Don't know what's going on. Hold on. Let's see. Technology. Yes. I'm going to step out and be right back.
I know there's no audio, right? Okay, so you two talk. Don't worry about me. Yeah, what's going on? Okay, because I can't hear either one of you. So I don't I don't know if it's going to pipe in because if I can't hear you, I'm trying to get assistance. Hello, can you hear me? And I still can't hear you. Can you hear me, Miss Jane? No? Hi, Miss Elliot, can you hear me? Hmm. Let's see something. Hello? Okay, 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 but I can't. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. And it's it's internet. All right, so let me let me see what's going on. All right, let me matter of fact I might have to I might just shut it down and start it up again. That might work. Okay. All right, don't worry about it. We'll get her. Hey, Miss Elliot, it's it's Javon. I'm going to shut this thing down and start it up again. Miss Elliot, I'm I'm going to I'm going to shut this whole thing down and then start over. And if it doesn't work, we'll do it via telephone. Because there's something going on with the audio. I don't know if everyone can hear me or not, but there that went. We're going to shut it down and start again.
Come on.
that they are superior, that they are perfect, that they have the right to rule. Did you learn anything this morning? I think I learned from the experience of feeling like I was in a glass cage and I was powerless. I realized this morning that there were very few very few. And you convince those who take the place of blue-eyed students that they are less than. How did they feel yesterday? Down like a dog on a leash. Yeah, what do you suppose that does to them? Find out that there are people of color who refuse down to our expectations. I am now watching at the national Okay, I'm going to give you a call on your phone, Miss Elliot, and um, let's see how that works. Can we do, is it possible, can you hear me, Jamal? Yeah. Yeah, is I can hear you. Is it possible to do a three-way call? It's, it's going to come through here. But I feel like we're going to have to kill this and, and restart it in about five minutes. Okay, let's get around what I have just sitting here idle. Yeah, so every everyone take a break. Everyone take a break. Everyone. We're going to take five minutes. We're going to shut this down, and we're going to come back. But um, we're going to come back with Miss Elliot. I, I'm, I'm determined. Okay, five minutes. Sit down. <laughs> I thought you were gone. I wish I. I'm a, don't go anywhere, Miss Elliot. We got you. <laughs> She's gonna read. Five minutes. See you. See you in a bit. Life you gave is 
back on because I know she's having a fit right now. And I can also call Miss um I can call you Miss Pine. Okay, so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to call Miss Elliot, that's me. Miss Miss Elliot. There you go. Hello. Hello. All right, I got you. Now I'm hearing you in two places. So you can <laughs> mute your computer. You you can mute the computer and um just talk to me on the phone and I can see you and hear you this way. Mute the computer. Yep, just mute okay. the sound. Oh, I I didn't mean for you to turn it off. Just to it's on. It's on. Just turn down the volume, but now I can't see you. 
Okay, yes, coming, yes, coming. There it is. <laughs> Mute the volume. Right, but bring the bring the picture back on. I got the camera. Either way, we can we can hear you now. We're just waiting for Therese to come back on. Oh, there you come. You're coming back on. I see you. I see you. And now we'll get Therese back on as well. Um. And we're we're up and cooking with gas as soon as she comes on. How are you feeling today? So let's let's start with that. I apologize <laughs> for all of the technological problems and you know whatever. But how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just as fine as I can be. I haven't done anything yet today. Oh. Well, we we really appreciate you being here with us. Good morning. Good morning. So you're able to hear me and you're able to hear Therese, correct? I'm I'm able to hear you on my telephone and in my right ear from my iPad. Wow. So everything is working now. <laughs> well, but the iPad isn't the one in my right ear doesn't work well. I can hear spots and, you know, bits and pieces. I can hear everything you say on the telephone. Okay. Can she hear me on the telephone? I can hear you on the telephone. Excellent. All right. So so Miss Miss Elliot Thank you so much. I want to thank you for all of the discussions and conversations, quick conversations, for everything you've done all throughout the years. And please let me give my friend here, Therese Michelle, the the pleasure and honor of speaking with you because she's been waiting. (laughs) And boy, Miss Elliot, have I been waiting a very long time. Okay. Thank you for joining us today. And I want to share a story first, you know. And just so you know, we have a live studio audience that's on our chat that's full of comments. So I may I'm gonna speak slowly just in case we have any breakups. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm turning my I'm turning my uh, sound down way down on my iPad because I'm hearing you once in my left ear and once on my iPad. Well, okay, let's try it now. Okay. Testing, can you hear me now clearly? Yes. Yes. And also, if you could just move yourself into the the picture a little better. We only see how, there you go. Perfect, perfect. All right. Which do you prefer? I'm going to start off. Because I, I feel like your cousin Jane. So <laughs> what do you prefer to me call you? Cousin Jane or Miss Elliot? You name it. Oh, just call me Jane. Let's, let's get this done. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to give you a scenario of a little girl that was me, actually. And when I was in elementary school, you don't know this, but this is a prime opportunity for me to share something with you. You were my first intervention with trauma that I had without even knowing it. And I'm going to explain that. When I was in elementary school, this was after, clearly after 1968. I'm over 50 years old now. But 
after 1968, you when you first did your blue eye brown eye exercise, I had no idea what that was, right? But when I was in school, elementary school in the 70s, I was put out, I was embarrassed and and sent home from school um, for raising my hand and informing our teacher that was teaching us about Columbus and uh, telling her actually, because I'd already learned through my mom, who was very big on education and, and teaching us the, the actual side of history, uh, the teacher didn't like it. And she put me out of class and I was humiliated, embarrassed all of the above. And it was another teacher in the same school that heard about the incident and introduced me at that point to your blue eyes, brown eyes exercise. And that helped me get back in school and get back on the right foot. She spent time with me, but your exercise for a little girl in the 70s in New York City helped me really, really understand what that was. So try not to get emotional. Probably won't work. It's okay. But I want to thank you for that. Thank you should thank the teacher that told you the truth for that. And I hope I hope she told the other teachers what she had better not be saying in the future. Yeah, you know, she was pretty she was pretty amazing and we remained friends most of my adult life. Um and I'm hoping that she did too. But let's get let's get to it. You know, Miss Jane, we got a lot of stuff going on right now. A lot. Really? <laughs> oh, more than you more than you know. Are you sure that the federal troops that he has sent in there aren't really some mercenaries that the department the head of the Department of Education's brother runs? He has a mercenary group that goes into countries to either start a problem or solve a problem. Are you sure that those aren't the federal troops that he is sending in there? I think we have more going than we realize. I, think I want so. to see those. I want to see those guys without their camo on. I want to see them without their gas masks. I want to see them without their weapons. I want to see who they really are, and I want to know what the taxpayers are paying and who they're paying it to and why. And I want to know who's making money off those federal troops. I doubt very seriously that those are federal troops. I, I am so suspicious that they are a bunch of mercenaries that the Department of Education's brother runs. We know that's what he does, and I want to know who they are. Good point, good point, because some of the, you know, they've been driving through the street, swiping some of the protesters off the street in these unmarked cars. And, unmarked you know, cars, absolutely, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that. Those are not, those are not government vehicles. No, and it's, 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 not, and it's an interesting tactic as well. Absolutely. You know, like, but you see, but you see, it's a it's a tactic that tyrants use. It's a tactic that dictators use. It's a tactic that people who want to overthrow a country use. And if we get used to seeing that tactic happening, we will stop protesting because we don't want it to happen to us or to our children. I don't have to worry about it. My children are white and they'll be fine. But if as long as they don't get into a protest group, they'll be all right. But the minute they get into a protest group. They'll be treated the way people of color are treated when they protest this ugliness. I've heard you say this many times before, 
Like what it what is because the, there's a difference between white people and and whiteness. Yes. <laughs> neither of neither of them exist. There is no such thing as white skin. You look at you look at my shirt. What color is my shirt? It's white. See my white. shirt. What color? It's white. And you see my hair. What color is my hair? White. 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 Then what color is my skin? Pink. White. No. Well, it ain't white. Your skin is not white. Pink. Of course it isn't white. It's not white. There are no white people. Every every human being on the face of the earth is a shade of brown. And if you don't believe that, you need to get the National Geographic magazine for April of 2018 and just look at this page out of that. Look at this. These are different skin colors. Not a one of them is white. Not a one of them is the color of that that page yeah. border. Nothing is the color of that border. We are all shades of brown. It's time to get over the idiocy of calling people white. Here's what we have to know. If we're going to use the language of the 16th and 17th century, then we need to use the transportation means of the 16th and 17th century and the communication means and, we, and the education. We need to educate people the way we did. They did in the 16th and 17th century. And men have to start wearing knee breeches and and powdered wigs, and women have to go back to pantaloons and pantalettes. Now, do you really think that's going to happen? Because if we are going to do that, then let's leave the let's leave the language of the 16th and 17th century behind us and start talking. Let's take out words like multiracial and biracial and postracial and all that nonsense and talk about the human race. And instead of calling these two girls right here who are on the cover of that magazine. You see there it says black and white. They aren't black and white. Neither of them is black and neither of them is white. Get over it. Instead of calling these two girls black and white or either one of them mixed or biracial, they are not mixed and they are not biracial. They are a mosaic. A mosaic is a new art form that is beautiful and is unique and is one of a kind and is made of many elements. And that's what these two girls are. They are mosaic. They are not mixed race, unless one of their parents came from outer space. And I've read this article, and I've seen pictures of their mother and father, and they look like earthlings to me. Well, well, Trump says that uh, there are some aliens um, with some alien sperm, and so, I don't know. I'm sorry, but let me tell you. What, read this. Read this article, and read the article, and see what it says about Neanderthals. Neanderthals are inclined to abdominal fat. They are bullish and brutish and bullying, and they have orange hair. Wow. Mm. Oh, yeah. Now, does that sound like anyone that you've seen recently? Mm. Yeah. I tried that. Uh-huh. In fact, it's so bad with him on my, on my mental Rolodex. It's so bad. I skip from 44 to 46. I don't even mention that no, one. I don't call him 45. I call him 44 and a half. <laughs> He's not even that. He's not even that. We, you know, they're, they're talking about policy. We have a, an election, a big one coming up in November, which, you know, a lot of people are very, very, very concerned about. You know, he's already starting his crap, you know, about what it won't be and what it will be. And some folks say we're going to have to drag him out feet first from the White House. 
What what's your what do you think about that, Jane? What do you what do you think? What do you think he's plotting? Stop being stop being distracted by his threats. Because he a lot he is a liar. He has no intention of making good on any of his threats. He's a coward. He is absolutely afraid to go out of that building without the troops around him. He is um he is he is a boy grown tall. He's a case of arrested development. You have three ego states, child, parent, and adult. He has never, I have never seen him do something that is in the adult ego state. He is either in the parent or child ego state every time, even when he's reading off the teleprompter. He reads a few words and he says, it'll be great. It's true, it'll be great. Because that's what he knows, it'll be great. And he praises himself constantly because he can't see any farther than the end of his nose. You need to realize that the man is a case of arrested development for you expect adult behavior out of someone who has never developed an adult ego state is absolutely impossible. Give it up. It isn't going to happen. He, he has never been and will never be an adult. He doesn't know how. He, at his age, if he hasn't developed an, an adult ego state now, he's not going to. So let's not expect him to. And he will say these things to distract you. He will lie. You know he's lying. And you know that the Congress has the power to put him out of that building. Except that you've got to depend on the Republicans that are in the Senate in order to get it done. And if those fools don't get their act together, they're going to take this country right off the cliff and out of our democracy. You, we have to, uh, this election means elect Democrats, even if they're dodo birds. Elect a Democrat dodo bird that is better than a Republican racist. And that's what this man is. We need to take, have the people who support him, and they support him because he has the purse strings. He's, he is head of, he's the titular head of the Republican Party right now. And if you're running a campaign and you want to get elected and you want money from the Republican Party, you have to go through him. He is holding the purse strings. That's the whole thing. And, and people like, like Mitch McConnell, those boys know better. You know they know better, but they want to get reelected. They've got a cushy job. They've got a really, really good deal going there. Why would they want to rock that boat? If all they have to do is listen to a man who tells lies constantly, if that's all they have to do to get elected, they can go home and say, well, I don't really believe everything he says. Or they could do what Lindsey Graham said before he got elected, described him in the most unpleasant ways. And then John McCain died. And Lindsey Graham's conscience died. So then he turned to the dark side. And he supports a person who is a real a real problem, a boy grown tall in the White House is not what we need. And another thing we don't need, we don't need a White House. That building ought to be called the President's Residence. We better change the name of that building to the President's Residence. I remember when Richard Nixon told, President Nixon told a bunch of reporters, I'm trying to save the White House for you white people. Now you think about that. And then you change the name of that building to the President's Residence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. Because it's it's more than just symbolism at this point. Because sometimes lines up in the intention of it. You know, absolutely, absolutely. The absolutely. It doesn't. It, it listen. It doesn't mean. It doesn't matter what you meant by what you said. What matters is how it is perceived. And every time I hear the words White House, I think, uh huh. That's only for white people. Wait a minute, folks. Abraham Lincoln wasn't totally white. According to what I've read recently, he was part black, part white, and part Cherokee Indian. He was a Melungeon. 
you just need to realize that Barack Obama was not our first black president. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I believe that. And I've heard that about President Lincoln, too, as well. You know, there is there is a lot of um, information rolling around, and we want to, as uh, people of color and Black people in the country, we want to make sure that whatever politician, now obviously we have to get 45 all the way out of here, but whatever, we want to, we want to have an agenda for Mr. Biden running. You know, we want to have an agenda so that he can pay attention to some of the things that matter to us that have been going on systemically. I'm a person of mixed cultures, you know, um, and, and not race, but mixed cultures. You know, I'm Native, Indigenous, and I'm also Black American. So those two make me human. But at the end of the day, I want to say, what do you think about some of the things that are needed? Because we, we, have, we have a pretty good idea, but what would you say some of the things that need to be changed in this country to, to spark the conversation of equality and make sure that there's, if we're talking reparations, how we can start? Because it's obviously they cannot put a dollar amount, they can't put a dollar amount on what we've contributed to this country and the, the turmoil and the suffrage that we've had to deal with over the, you know, there's no dollar amount attached to that, you know, and, and that our ancestors paid and that some of us are still paying. Actually, a lot of us are still paying now because it's, the system is still jacked up. But where would you start to say we could, what, what, what are some of the things that you can uh, say that we can add to that? All right, let me ask you a question. Which would you rather have? An educated populace educated by people who have been educated to the truth instead of what they have learned up till now, or money. Would you like to have that money spent to re-educate teachers so that when they go into that classroom, not a one of them, not a one of them, anywhere in the United States of America, will, no, none of them will stand up and say, when I see people, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow. I just see people as people. If we could get rid of that, if we could get educators who are really educators and would tell the truth, if we could get teachers, so-called teachers, they'd rather be called teachers because it's easier to say teachers than only a two-syllable word. If we could get teachers to read books like The Color of Law so that they would know that most of the segregation that happens in, in communities in this country is written into law by people who believe in the myth of white superiority. They believe that people want to be only with those who are like themselves. Well, since we're all the same race, but different colors, different genders, different sexual orientations, different ages, we are still members of the same race. So we can get rid of some of this segregation by changing the laws. But the only way you'll change the laws is if you change the education of the people who are going to law school because they've done studies in this country that prove that the longer you stay in school, the more bigoted you become. Because every year you are in an educational institution, you are being reinforced in what you learn grades K through 12. And what you learn is things like all the important things, the discoveries, the inventions, the, the bravery were done by white males. If you can name 10 
fabulous black males who made valuable contributions to the history of this country, you're going to be a wonderman, and you're only going to know that because you had one teacher at one time who said, look at here, here's a whole list of things that people of color have made available for us. Every person who's going to be teaching in this fall, if we go to school this fall, and the chances aren't really good, but if we do, every teacher has to have read the book Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization by Robert, by, um, and, uh, just look it up, whatever his name is, I've forgotten right now. We need to educate the educators. Every teacher, every teacher, so-called teacher, has to read Nathan Rutstein's book. You see that title? The Racial Conditioning of Our Children. Because that's what goes on in schools all over the United States. And the subtitle is, Ending Psychological Genocide in the Schools. What's going on in the schools is psychological genocide. The author's name is Nathan Rutstein. Get this book and read it. And if your kid goes to school, you take the book to school the first day, go, go into the teacher in service meetings when they're meeting and ask to speak to the group and then show them that book and say, now, if you haven't read this book, you've got no business you're letting me know that you don't know enough to teach children who are other than white. And you don't know enough to teach white children. If you don't know that Columbus didn't discover America, you cannot discover a place where people are already living. They discovered it before you got there. And you show them that book, and then you show them that National Geographic magazine, and you say, now, do you realize? And you show them the map. The map will blow them away. They need to be blown away. They need to be blown up. They need to be taught, forced to listen. See this map? This map shows you where we started and how we, meaning the world, people in the world, started in Africa and then they moved to populate every landmass on the face of the earth. That map needs to be hanging in the schools and every classroom in the United States of America so that black children can see that their ancestors are the same ancestors as my ancestors. If I would do my DNA and trace it back as far as I could, I would find that a portion of my DNA came from a country in Africa, a country on the continent of Africa. Africa is not a country. It is a continent. We don't do a good job of teaching in the schools because we haven't been taught enough. We have been, we have been exposed to not education but indoctrination. And people will say, we need to teach these children so that they will be good United a good American citizens. We don't say United States of America. We say American citizens. And we are, so, we are so brainwashed by that that we are going to allow this fool to build a wall on the southern border of the United States to keep out those who aren't American. Now, listen to me. <laughs> Everybody from the northernmost point on Canada to the southernmost point on South America is an American. Wow. But we don't say, when he finishes his speeches, he, he says, God bless you and God bless America. But we're going to build a wall to keep those other Americans out. He doesn't, you see, he has been educated, so-called educated, the way everybody else has. Lawyers have been educated the way everybody else has. It is miseducation. We have taught the lie long enough. There's only one race on the face of the earth. The uh, Homo sapiens mated with Neanderthals. The Homo sapiens took over. We 
our, our Homo sapien gene is stronger than any of those other genes. By the time Homo sapiens had been on the land for several thousand years, all of Peking man and all of Java man and all of Neanderthal man had disappeared from the face of the earth. But there are some of their characteristics and some of their DNA because they made it with Homo sapiens. Practically everybody has some Neanderthal blood on DNA, particularly those who came from northern Europe, like Germany. Right. Which is where our president's ancestors came from and are so proud of it and say they are Caucasian. No, they aren't. They are Afro German. <laughs> they are not Caucasians. You couldn't if 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 humankind had started in the Caucasus Mountains, they wouldn't have lived through the first winter. But you could live a long time in a country in Africa. Because there's water, you follow the animals to water, you can eat the animals, and there's food growing here and there and everywhere. If you know how to find it, and you find out what will make you sick the first time, then you don't eat that one the next time, and then you choose something else. There are possibilities to keep you alive in Africa. There are not possibilities to keep you alive in Northern Europe in the wintertime, unless you know how to dress, how to build a home, how to protect yourself from the elements. Now, Now, does any of this make sense to you? Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. But I'm going to tell you something, Jane. People are losing their jobs over talking truth, you know. People are, people are being tossed out over talking the truth, you know. I wouldn't mind losing my job, but I get threatened with my life on a, on a daily basis. Somebody constantly tells me how much they want me dead. And now when I go on a college campus and there are those three little white boys down there wearing that red cap that says, make America hate again, it says make America great again, but it means make America hate again. Take us back to the 50s, which were really good for white males, not worth a damn for the rest of us. I say to those three boys that are sitting there talking and pointing at me and doing their thing, I say, wait a minute, fellas, I know you'd like to see me dead. Let me warn you about something. You want to kill me because of what I do to decrease the level of racism in this country. Go ahead. I don't care. My husband died seven years ago, and my son died two years ago, and I'd like to see them, you know. I'd like to, I know I'm not going to, and I'm not willing to die for it. However, I say to them, if you kill me because of what I do, you might make a martyr out of me, and then you might have to spend the rest of your life celebrating Jane Elliott Day once a year. Now, do you want to do that? And then they make a, you know, make a, take a cross out of the first two fingers there and, and say, no, no, no. I say, then, good, then sit down, shut up, and listen to me. And then they shut up and listen. And by that time, all the black kids in the room have turned and are looking at them. And they have identified them. And I suspect, and when those guys leave there, they run out of the building. Because I suspect that they have now identified themselves as being somebody who wants to destroy a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, I have to realize that white folks are really white. I don't call them white, white folks. I call them melanemic. If you don't have enough iron in your body, you are anemic. If you don't have enough melanin in your skin, you're melanemic. Makes good sense to me, and it makes a whole lot more sense than calling people white. Because we aren't white, but we are melanemic, and that's the way we are. And we are melanemic because black people moved way, 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 way away from the equator. And as they moved farther and farther from the equator, their skin, their hair, and their eyes got lighter and lighter because they were exposed to less and less sunlight. Melanin is the chemical in your body which protects yourselves from the damaging rays of the sun. That's the only reason my face is this color, because I am of 
Irish extraction, Irish and English, and those folks are pretty pale, but they aren't as pale as the Norwegians. <laughs> you know, I tell one of those, because <laughs> they're real mixed. They are really melanemic. But, you know, white folks aren't going to like that. They like being called white, even if it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a lie, they will like being called white. We have to change what's taught in the schools in this country, and we have to re- absolutely refuse to allow teachers, educators, and most teachers are teachers, Teachers dispense facts and figures, facts that aren't even really facts, to get the kids ready for the end-of-year testing. An educator is one who is engaged in the act of leading people out of ignorance. You can't do that by teaching that Columbus discovered America. Dora Heyerdahl said you can't do that. They didn't discover America. That America was, it wasn't, it wasn't America, and it was discovered by black people, Native Americans, if you look at a picture of a Native American chief and of a tribal chief in one of the African countries, they look alike because they came from the same ancestors. Get over it, folks. And somebody sent me this lovely mask. See what it says? Get over, Get over it. it. When I wear this, I'm going to go downtown, and people are going to look at me and say, Oh, that's the bitch. And they will, they will, I know you don't like the word bitch, but it's the word that is most used to refer to me. And, and now when they say it, I say thank you. Because for me, bitch is an acronym for being in total control, honey. And when, when women are seen in control, the men in the group call them that word to shut them down. And I, I, you're out of control, aren't you, darling? And I say, but I can take care of that for you. And I reach in my pocket as if to pick out my little Lorena Bobbitt fruit knife. Now, I no longer carry a fruit knife because they took it away from me on an airplane. <laughs> but if you look like you have one, and if you match the B word, then they get really quiet and they walk away quickly. Some of them limp away because I have attacked their most important part. I have mm-hmm. indicated to them that your skin is the largest organ on your body. Inch yeah. by inch, your skin is the largest organ on your body. And if some fool, liberal, mel- melanated, per- a non-melanated person can come up to you and say, when I see you, I don't see you black, you have the right to say, have you been blind very long? You need to go to the eye doctor. Let's make an appointment for the eye doc- with the eye doctor for you so that you can get your eyes fixed. When some teacher says, I don't, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, I say, I knew that before you said it, because if you, didn't, if you saw color, you wouldn't wear that blouse with those pants. And then they get all upset because I have offended them. You don't understand. Or the lady who stood up in a college class, an instructor stood up in this great big group of college people and said, I just look for the person's heart. And I said, well, if you can see my heart from where you're standing, you should get out of the hospital and volunteer to be their x-ray machine. You can save them a whole lot of money. She said, you don't understand. You don't realize what I mean. I said, I know exactly what you mean. You mean you have to look past that unfortunate discoloration in their skin and look for what makes us more similar, which is our hearts. Woman, if you could see our... I've dressed lots of chickens because we were poor and we sold chickens and dressed them. Dressed chickens. <laughs> if you could see the hearts, you would realize that we are very, very colorful on the inside. Right, so she right. would not want to see a person's heart because it ain't white. Do you understand that? It yeah. isn't white. And neither are any of your other organs white. 
<laughs> it's time to get over it, folks. Anyway, what's your next question? No, if I'm... you dare to ask one. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Jane. Thank you so much for saying that. Last year, you appeared at the University of Houston with another one of my sheroes, Miss Angela Davis. And right. can I say that was, you know, that I, you know, you two are sisters from another mister, as, as I like to call it. But it was amazing seeing you. And I think if schools started having or institutions started having more real people, real activists, real educators come in to teach and instruct their classes, I think that was a brilliant thing that they did. How was that experience being on with Angela Davis sending your messages? I tell you that I I haven't had that much hadn't had that much fun before, and I haven't had that much since because they introduced Angela Davis and she made her remarks and she uses five and six syllable words and the kids are really just uh, amazed at her and then they said Mrs. Elliot what would you like to say to this group and I said well every person in this room who considers himself or herself a member of the human race please stand and they all stood immediately and I said there it is. We're all members of the same race. And they were like, I never thought of it. And then this woman later on, not very much later on, this woman in the front, one of the first three rows said, if they get power, aren't those people going to want to get even with us? And I knew who she was talking about when she said those people. I said, well, let's find out. Well, every person in this room who considers himself or herself a member of the black race and who wants to get even with all white folks, please stand. Three young men stood up, three young black males. The rest of them just turned and looked at him like, are you crazy? And I said to this woman, see, they don't want to get re- even with all of us. Only those three do. Oh, okay. I said, is you feeling better? Oh, yeah. I said, now, let's be honest about this. Well, every black person in this room who wants to get even with one or two white people, please stand. Every one of them stood up yelling and cheering and high-fiving one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, see, they don't want to get even with all of us. Each one of them wants to get even with one or two of us. Now, if you want to be treated fairly in the future, behave fairly in the present. Behave in such a way that you aren't one of the one or two they want to get even with. Does that make sense to you? And she's going, uh-huh. And the blacks are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I don't think, I, I watched my third graders on the day they were on the bottom. I listened to them in the boys' room say, we're going to get even with those brownies when it's our turn. Then when they were on the top, they were much less vicious to the Browns than the Browns had been to them. And after we had, they had written their essays, we got in a magic circle and we started to talk about this. And I said to them, why didn't you kids get even? Why didn't you blue-eyed kids get even with the brown-eyed kids you said you were going to? And they said, because we found out how it feels to be treated that way and we didn't want to make anybody feel the way we, we felt when we were on the bottom. Now, pale faces... You people who are melanemic need to know that if you want to treat, if you want, if you practice the golden rule, if we Christians, so-called Christians, do unto others as we would have others do unto us, we are asking to be treated badly. Because we white people treat people of color, if we don't treat them badly, we allow laws to be written that will be bad for them. We allow other people, we, let, we allow social studies to be forced into the school, which is anti-social studies. We allow ugly things to happen to people of color, and we contribute to that. Now, if you want to be, if you believe in the golden rule, 
and white people treat people of color the way white people want to be treated, then we can look for some real ugliness in the future. I don't believe in the golden rule. I believe in the platinum rule. The platinum rule says, do unto others as others would have you do unto them. Treat others the way they want to be treated. And in order to find out how they want to be treated, you have to ask them, you have to listen to the answer, and then if what they ask you to do is indecent, illegal, or immoral, you have to do it. But that means if you're going to practice the platinum rule, that means you have to communicate with people who are different from yourself. And you can't do that by denying that they are people of color. And you can't do it by calling them colored folks because if you're a person, if you're a colored person, then I'm a colorless person. And white folks don't want to be called colorless. If you call a white person a colorless person, they get all upset. But you aren't supposed to get upset when we call you colored. Now, that's because we have the power and you don't. But within 30 years, white folks will be a numerical minority in the United States of America. And that's what pale faces are concerned about. Just like that one pale face woman said, if they get power, aren't they going to want to do to us what we have done to them? Well, if that's what it's going to be, then treat them marvelously now. Do away with racism so that 30 years from now, you don't have to worry about being judged inappropriately or in an ugly way on the basis of people's ignorance about your skin color. You see, we pale faces don't know much about people of color. They know all about us. They know us inside and out, and you know it, and so do I, because they have to in order to graduate from kindergarten. They have to know the rightness of whiteness. And by the time you've finished from kindergarten, now we start at preschool because one of the presidents said, give me a child from the ages of three to five and he'll be mine for a lifetime. So now we have three to five-year-olds instead of five. Instead of starting at the age of five, we start our indoctrination at the age of three. And we teach children from the age of three exactly what their place in this universe is. And it's a wrong lesson. It's, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. If I were teaching kindergarten this year, I would say, boys and girls, the first thing we're going to do is sit down and shut up. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it. Well, I probably would because <laughs> they, they all know I'm a real tough person. I would say, everybody, here's a box of crayons. Everybody has one. Here's a whole mess of crayons. Now, pick up this crayon. And I would hold up the white crayon. And I would say, now, this is white. Everybody have one? And all those little boys would be picking theirs up and thinking of it as something other than a crayon. And I say, now, well, all of you put, take that crayon and hold it against the back of your hand. Now, does the skin on your back of your hand match that crayon? Because, boys and girls, if it doesn't, it isn't white. And it won't. Or say, hold it against your teeth. It, 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 it matches your teeth, but it doesn't match your skin. We don't identify people by the color of their teeth. We identify them by the color of their skin. And then I would get this page out of the National Geographic. No, I would get the Pantone color wheel. I'd get a copy of that and put it in the classroom. And I'd say, now, boys and girls, you can each go to that color wheel and find your skin color on the color wheel. And you can because you are there because we are all shades of brown. And every kid has the right to see himself as a, an equal human being on that color wheel. Now, let's deal with equalities. I will never be equal to you young women. I'll never be as tall as you are. I'll never be as young as you are. I'll never, I'll never be as pretty as you are. I'll never know what you know about racism. 
I am, we are equal only in the eyes of God. But we are guaranteed equal treatment under the law. And we won't get that as long as the people who are writing the laws believe in the myth of white superiority. So we have to re-educate the people who are in Congress. We really have to re-educate the Senate. And we have to re-educate the members of the Supreme Court. And every court in the land, every lawyer, has to be re-educated to realize that there's only one race and we need to do away with this nonsense. Okay, now I have given my speech for the day. Is there anything else you'd like to hear me say? There's, there's one thing. There's one thing y'all have to know. Y'all have to know this because it's summertime. It's summertime in Iowa right now. White folks are absolutely convinced that the color of your skin tells what kind of person you are and how valuable you are and how smart you are. Now think of all those blonde people lying out on the beach trying to get tan. If skin color indicates a lack of intelligence, then in the summer, whites get dumber. <laughs> yeah, I often, often wondered about that one myself, Jane. Let me ask you a question because I, I know a few people that think just like you, and they got a whole lot of money, and they think just like you. So where best? Would their money be applied if they wanted to help this situation that you've named? If you want reparations, use that money to educate the educators and then educate the people to the truth. Give that money to people who are going to be truly educated. Fund colleges and universities that will teach educators how to educate and will teach them the truth. It's going to cost a whole lot of money to educate all those people who are teaching <laughs> social studies, elementary social studies in the schools in this country because they have, they're accustomed to telling the lie. Columbus discovered America. George Washington never told a lie. Abraham Lincoln believed in freedom, freeing the blacks. Those things aren't true. George Washington told a lie. George Washington's teeth are made out of wood. No, they are the teeth that they took out of a black person and put in his mouth. Give me a break. You need to realize that he didn't have wooden teeth. He had teeth that were inserted from another human being. Abraham Lincoln was a Melungeon. He was our first black president, and he didn't want to free the slaves. He only did it because he wanted to get reelected, and if he hadn't gotten shot, he might have gotten reelected. We've got to stop. Daniel Boone made his got wealthy by take, stealing the native, natives' land and paying them in beads and trinkets. If you want to start with reparations, you'd better take care of the people on the Navajo reservation first. And now, and I've had this, I said that to a black man who's a really, um, um, you know, he's, he's for equality and freedom and justice and all of that. I said, we need to take care of the Native Americans first. And he said exactly the things that white people say when you say blacks deserve uh, reparations. He said, they've gotten paid for their land. They, we, we paid them. We gave them land. They've got the best land in the United States. I'm thinking, yeah, the Navajo Res is on the desert. Oh, that's a great, those are great, that's great space. No doubt about that. And he said exactly the same things about Native Americans that black people say to me about, he's saying about Native Americans what white people say about black people. Look at what we've done to them. We brought them over here. What if they were back in Africa? Look how miserable they'd be. Oh, wait a minute. 
in Africa, you don't need a great big house with air conditioning if you know how to use nature. If you know enough to do what they do in Saudi Arabia, build your house so that you have a tower in which the, the hot air rises and the cold air falls. Well, here's this house with all this, this big thing, big, a different kind of arrangement, construction in the house. And, and I said to my son-in-law, why are those houses built that way? He said, because it's so hot, hot air rises, so, and, but cold air falls, so it creates a draft so that you have cool, a cool home because of how they react to nature. Hmm. Think about that. We don't think about that because we know how to do it. We'll go in and build a great big house, and we'll have electricity, and we'll have air conditioning, which costs you a bundle of money to do that. But it would make sense to do it the way the Native Americans did it. If you look at a Native American teepee and see how it, you can lift up the flaps on the bottom and there's a hole at the top so that the air comes in and rises, warm air rises, cold air falls, they knew what we had to learn. But they knew because they learned it over thousands and thousands of years. We do not listen to people who know the truth. We, our way is that the A. We talk about, and we don't say the rightness of whiteness, but we teach the rightness of whiteness. Nothing else is as good of as. So rewrite the history books, re-educate the educators, and use that money to do that, and then we could educate ourselves out of this mess. Make no mistake about this. Nobody is born a racist. There's no gene for racism. There's no gene for for. Uh, uh, sexism, there's no gene for ageism, there's no gene for ethnocentrism. Those are all things you have to be carefully, carefully taught. Let's educate the educators so that they do not think, they do not educate in those ways. Let's so, insist so, that educators you know, tell the truth. Outside of, your ex, outside of your experiment, right, your exercise, do you have a curriculum somewhere in your vault that if a school was started for teachers, um, that needed this particular kind of uh, thinking and needed this kind of... Uh, re-education. Re-education? Good, do you good do you educators do that now without anybody writing the curriculum. A good, a good third grade teacher will look at the stuff she's supposed to teach and be on the page she's supposed to be on according to the course of study and according to what her schedule is supposed to be, and she'll have the kids open the books to that page, and then she'll teach the truth. She won't teach out of that book because she knows what's in that book. That book is written to guarantee the continuation of the myth of the lie of race. So she'll teach the truth, but she'll be on the right page when the principal walks by her door and looks in and sees what page they're on. And he'll nod and say, uh-huh, she's doing the right thing. She'll say, glad you like it. And gets you. when he walks by, then she'll go back to teaching the truth instead of teaching out of that book. I did it every, every day in third grade. I didn't pay much. I knew what I had. I had to teach him about housing. I had to teach him about all you know, the stuff, you know, clothing and the stuff you have to teach at the junior high, at the elementary level. And I did that. But by teach, to teach clothing, I told him how clothing is made. But this was in a poverty-stricken town. Riceville was, got lots and lots of Title I funding because of the low income in the community. So at Christmas time, we started the Room 10 store. And every child brought in clothing that was in good shape that he, had, he or she had outgrown and we stocked the shelves and we paid them 
with room ten money for the clothing they brought in, and then we had an we had opened the open we had a grand opening, and the principal came down and cut the ribbon, and we opened the room ten store, and they used their room ten money to buy something else from that somebody else had outgrown or it wasn't worn out, so they bought those things from their peers, and then the next day and the weeks after that, they would come to school wearing the clothing that the other kids had sold them had sold to the store, and one of those little girls would say, "You look better in that dress." than I did. It was like you create a family and you teach them about, and then we had at the end, we had some stuff left over, so we had an auction, and we auctioned off that stuff, and Sandy wanted this one thing, and she bid and bid and bid, and finally Roy Wilson said to her, Sandy, you're bidding against yourself. Nobody else is bidding on that, and she was so embarrassed, I said, and then Roy said, that's all right. She's never been to a real live auction before, and I thought, oh my God, these kids see this as a real live auction, because it was. They were spending room 10 money, which they had earned, but we had to let one little boy be be, be one of the, the salespeople because he didn't have anything to bring in. And he came up to my desk and he said, I got, I got the shirt I got to wear this summer because he was going to a wedding in the summer and he needed a white shirt. And one of the other kids had brought in a white shirt. And he said, I got it bought. I said, okay. And then he, the next day, and he, then he said, I said, where'd you get the money for that? I bought it from the rest of them. I borrowed it, but they've got lots of money. I said, whoa, 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 you can't do that. You, you can't just go borrow that money. You're going to have to pay that back. He says, no, I'm not. They've got lots of money. I said, wait and see. So the next day, those little snots came in and said, where's my money? Where's my money? He didn't have any. He says, what am I going to do? I said, you got yourself in a mess, didn't you? He said, well, yeah, I don't have any money to give them. I said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have to bring some little trinket from home every day to sell to the store, and you're going to have to go to work in the store. And we'll pay you for working in the store. So you'll make money that way, but you can't, you can't buy anything more. You're going to have to use that money to pay back what you own, what you owe. So the next day, he brought in a little trinket, and he worked in the store, and he'd come up and he'd say, what's 65 minus 15? Go to the board and figure it out. What's 50 minus 12? Go to the board and figure it out. And he finally, he finally got all those. And I said, the first time he told me that, I said, wait, you have to write an IOU to every kid you've borrowed money from. Well, what do you mean? I said, I'll show you. So I wrote, I owe you X amount of money, and then sign it. And he, the kids wanted their money, so he had to give them their IOU, and then he had to bring, get the money to pay off those IOUs. And finally he came up and he said, well, now, now I don't owe anybody anything. I said, you feel better? No, I don't feel any better. I said, think of how good you're going to look in the summer when you wear that shirt. That isn't helping me now. I said, did you learn anything? He said, yeah, I'm never going to borrow another diamond as long as I live. I said, that's called education. That's what I wanted you to learn. You do not borrow money unless you've got the wherewithal to pay it back. You know, well, I know that now. And one kid, one kid, oh, Lord, <laughs> he, he brought a set of, well, somebody brought a brand new set of nutcrackers, a nutcracker and nutpicks to school, and I wanted that nutcracker in those nut picks because I had room to money because I sold the store some stuff that my kids had grown out of. So we had a grand opening and cut the ribbon and there was something I wanted to buy those nutcrackers and Richard wanted that nut, those nutcrackers and he leaped over three desks to get back to his desk and get the money out that he hadn't deposited in the bank. He was saving it back and so he bought that nutcracker and I thought, well, you behaviors become what they are, childlike behaviors. 
he knew how to, he was going to get those nutcrackers if it was the last thing he ever did. And, and, but he wasn't going to put all his money in the Room 10 store, in the Room 10 bank. We had to start a bank because kids were losing money out of their desks. So, well, we'll have to put the money in the bank, and we'll give you credit for what you put in the bank. And then we had the tellers would, you know, would subtract from their account, from each kid's account, what they spent. It was, it was absolutely, I hate to say it, but it was brilliant. And those kids, that, that several years after that, I was getting my hair cut uptown, and there were three kids who were my former students in the barber shop. And while we're waiting for the barber, we were sitting there talking and listening about the kinds of things that happen. And one of them said, my little cousin is still wearing those little rubber boots, those little red rubber boots that I bought in the Room 10 store. And we were sitting there talking about those memories. And when I got in the chair, the barber said, I have never heard people, children, talk like that before. She said they were talking like old men and with somebody that they had enjoyed. She said, I've never seen that before. And I said, well, you see, when you have an experience that you can't forget, you're bound to talk about it. And that's what they did. Those are experiences that you, those aren't expected in a third grade classroom. But right. it, was, it was simply accepted behavior in my classroom, and the, <laughs> the teachers just hated it. Oh, Oh, my. We, we did interesting things because I think school ought to be fun. So then when they were up to fourth grade, oh, my goodness, they interviewed a, a newspaper person, interviewed the fourth grade teacher and said, how do you feel about Mrs. Elliott's students? And she said, you can always tell which students came out of Mrs. Elliott's room. They think learning should be fun. It takes you two weeks to get them to settle down and realize that learning isn't supposed to be fun. I thought, oh, sweet. Jesus, what has she done to my excited students? Learning ought to be fun so that you want to come back the next day. Oftentimes, my kids would say, can't we stay tonight? Can't we stay longer? You can take us home. No, I can't take you all home. Get out there and get on the bus. We don't want to go home tonight. Go home. We'll see you tomorrow. And they were just eager to be there because learning was fun. It really, we had a good time. And I won't. I, I don't mind boring you grown-ups if you're listening to this. I don't care if you're bored. You can turn it off. I don't care. But I don't want kids to turn it off. And if you haven't read Marshall McLuhan's books, and I can't remember the name of them, but Marshall McLuhan told us, keep your kids away from television. You, they will. And he didn't use these words, but they have become screen addicted. If it isn't on the screen, it isn't on that little thing in their hand, they aren't sure it's real. So what we had in my classroom was half an hour every day of sustained silent reading. I taught them how to read, and then I expected them to practice it for half an hour a day. You sit down with a book, and you read for half an hour, and that's all you do. You don't raise your hand. You don't go to the restroom. You don't talk to the person next to you. You read for half an hour. Every parent should have sustained silent reading in their home every day for the mother, the father, or whoever is the guardian of those children, and those children. You will read for half an hour today. And, and we had a kids club. Keep interested in doing something. So after school, they were only allowed to watch one hour of television after school. The rest of the time, they had to be doing something creative or something like reading. So, oh, Lord, one of the teacher aides said to me, I'm glad Neil isn't in your class. I said, why? Because you're taking them away from their parents and you won't let them watch television. I said, wait a minute. When they're watching television, they aren't with their parents anyway. They're in suit and they're, they're inside that tube. She said, no, they aren't. That's when they can spend time with their parents. Then I moved up to junior high. Then I got Neil. And after 
six weeks of Neil being in my class, she said to me, Jane, I'm so glad that you've moved up to the junior high. I said, well, Sue, why is that? She said, because I never see Neil without a book in his hand. He reads all the time. You've made him into a reader in six weeks. And I thought, and I bit my tongue, and I need point, I want points for this. I didn't say to her, he could have been a reader for the last four years if I'd had him in third grade. I didn't say it. See how nice I am every once in a while? I can stick it in, but I don't have to twist it. So Neil became a reader. And you never did see him without a book in his hand. He loved words. You have to teach kids who are particularly those who are dyslexic, and there is such a person, you have to teach them love of the language. So we, we said poetry every day. At the beginning of the day, we said poetry. And those kids just loved words because they could say them, they could see them, they could, they could spell them, they could write them. That's what, that's what education is, a, is about in this country is your ability to read and to spell. And we have a president who does neither. Yes. I, I have a question for you, Miss um, Elliott. The what? children that you taught, and um, especially those in the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experience, have have you seen any of them as adults, and have you had the opportunity to speak about um, the experience with them and how it's yes. impacted them yes. as adults? And every day, every time I see one of them, I see them frequently. And every time I do it, now they're in their mid, and they're in their fifties. They're as old as my two middle children, my two youngest children. Every time, time I see them, they say, I remember when we did that blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise. I learned a lot. One of them, in the, in the group that you see in the, in the Eye of the Storm, all six of those kids, 16 of those kids are moderately to severely dyslexic. When the principal gave me my class role, yeah, before school started, he gave me that class role and he said, now, these kids aren't going to learn to read. I know you get upset if students in your classroom don't learn to read. These kids aren't going to learn to read. Pass them on and get them out of here. They're never going to graduate from school. They're never going to amount to anything anyway. And I thought, well, you miserable, but I didn't say it because I admired that man. But I went to the office and I looked at the cumulative files. Every one of those had high math scores and low reading and spelling scores, which means those kids didn't see or hear words the way they are written or said. And I knew what I was dealing with. And I had had a course in training the dyslexic child from Paula Rome and Jean Osmond in Rochester, Minnesota at the Remedial Reading Center. So I knew exactly how to teach those kids to read. And they came into my room that first day just scared to death because they had heard what, a, what an awful person I am. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, here's the way it is. I don't see any dumb people in this room. I don't see any disabled readers. I see 16 boys and girls who want to learn to read. And you are the lucky ones because I know how to teach reading. And they look at each other like, boy, she really is a nut. And I said, by the time, by the time you leave here, every one of you will be reading at or above the fourth grade level. All you have to do is do what I tell you to, learn the listening skills, and you will be reading at the fourth grade level or above when you leave here. Nine months later, every one of those kids was reading at the fourth grade level, and some of them, their independent reading level was sixth grade. Wow. Now, I'm no magic teacher. I'm no, you know, I'm no brilliant person. Make no mistake about this. But if every, every studying teacher, every person who wants, every teacher trainee had to take a course, a serious course, for three weeks in Orton Gillingham, Art and Gillingham Phonics, and learn how to teach every child to read, we would not have the problem 
we could empty our prisons. If you would do a, a, if you do a survey of the people who are in prison, the men who are in prison in this country, the vast majority of them will be dyslexic. They are people who didn't succeed in school because they didn't hear words the way they're said and they didn't see words the way they're written. I, on that first day, I put the word on on the board, on the chalkboard, and I said, what's that word? Some of them said no, some of them said on, some of them said nothing because they didn't dare say anything because they hadn't been, been successful in reading yet. I put the word up, was up. Some of them said was, some of them said saw, some of them said nothing because they couldn't trust their eyes, and they knew it. I said, by the time I'm done with you, when I put that word up there, you'll know exactly what it is because you'll know to read it from left to right. And you'll know which is your left side and which is your right side. And that's what we're going to do. And they were just, it was like, okay, if you say so. And they went to work. And one of those kids who wasn't supposed to graduate from high school, and they all did except one who was killed in an alcohol-related accident. I didn't want to think about that. But one of them became a lawyer. He wasn't supposed to graduate from high school. One of them became an elementary and a junior and senior high school principal, and he was a principal for years until about three years ago. He left education and started a business of his own. Wow. And those are the failures. Those are the failures in that third grade class. Think of what could have happened with the kids who were failures if somebody had told them, you aren't, you aren't special because of the color of your skin, but you do know a lot because we're going to teach you the truth. Ye yeah. shall know the truth, and the truth shall set ye free. Exactly. I think it needs to be the James Elliott School of Truth created oh. by some of these folk out here with money to spend where we teach teachers how to teach. You That's what? right. We could be, we parents, black parents, particularly males, who are in low-paying jobs because the teacher looked at that kid's skin and, and, and predicted that he would have a problem. Lowered her expectations for that kid when he walked in the door. And I knew that, but I didn't, nobody ever, you know, you, you realize what's going on because you watch teachers and what they do with the kids that they expect to fail. And I did the exercise with a group of instructors in Des Moines one day. And when it was over, this black woman said, crying, crying. She said, I do the same thing to my people of my, my race. She said, when black boys come in my classroom, they come through the door, and I automatically expect less of them because of their race. And I said, sweet Jesus, if you do it, why would you be surprised when white folks do it? She said, that's what I've been taught. You expect less from these little boys. She's crying. We're all crying because for the love of God, she was hired to teach every child and to have great expectations for every one of them. On the day those kids are on the top, and you don't, you don't believe it unless you've been there. The day those kids are on the top end exercise, they read words I know they can't read and spell words, I, spell words I know they can't spell. And the day those kids are on the bottom in that exercise, brilliant children cannot perform academically at the level they were able to do the day before we started the exercise. Kids will live down to or up to our expectations of them. And if you have been taught as a member of any color group, but it's any race, as we say in this country. But if you have been taught to expect less of members of that other color group, that's what you will do, and that's what they will do. They'll expect less of themselves. Imagine this. Black people, 300,000 years ago, appeared on Earth near the equator in sub-Saharan Africa, and over thousands of years, they moved from that area 
to populate every landmass on the face of the earth. They didn't have any modern technology. Think about that. How could stupid people do that? The problem mm -hmm. isn't stupid. It isn't stupidity, people. It's the lack of education, which is the re result of the ignorance that comes with a racist society. You have to perpetuate the myth of white power by using your power in ways to keep other people from succeeding. And we do it all day, every day. We know exactly how to do it. The first, the first elementary education, social studies education course that I took, this tall white male teacher stood up in front of these innocent, ignorant 19-year-olds and said, when you get into the classroom, you must not teach in opposition to the local mores, M-O-R-E-S, local mores or cultures. The people who are paying your wages through their taxes have the right to have their children learn what they want them to learn. And I thought, whoa, 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 wait, I was only 19, but I thought, that's not right. That means if you're teaching in a racist society, you mustn't teach in opposition to racism. Oh, no, but I didn't stand up and say, you know something? My uncle wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't tell him what my uncle would say, and I wouldn't argue with that man because I wanted to get a grade on that class. But he was flat out wrong. And if we had had more courage, we'd have stood up and said, in other words, don't teach against sexism. Don't teach against racism. Let people be sexist and racist and ageist. Don't teach against ethnocentrism. Keep on criticizing people if they aren't Christian or killing them if they aren't Christian. Let's go back to the dark ages. Is that what you're telling us? None of us dared to say it because we were too young. But then you grew up and you remembered what people told you in school. I'll never forget the man, I was a senior in high school, and a tall, knowledgeable white male who had come from the Second World War. He was in the Second World War, and, and he went through, he got training on the GI Bill, and instead of going into science or medicine or law or business where he could make a lot of money, he went into education so that he could see to it that future children would not be trapped the way he was. And he was standing up in our civics class, and he said, and I can still see him standing there, he said, I will never fight in another old men's war, and neither will any of my sons. And I thought, well, that's unpatriotic. He shouldn't say that. And I went home and I told my dad what he said. And he said, by God, he's right. You listen to that man. That man, man knows what he's talking about. That's exactly what he should have taught you. Don't fight an old men's war. Don't go to war. Don't do it unless there's a real reason for it. And that's exactly what Barack Obama did. He refused to go to war. He tried to settle things diplomatically. And did. We didn't have a war. For eight years, people think of that. Exactly. Let me. I'm glad you mentioned Barack Obama. What What was your impression of him as a president? If he had been allowed to do the things that he knew knew needed to be done, you would have seen things happen in this country that were absolutely phenomenal. But he didn't know about Mitch McConnell. He didn't know how strong the members, the Republican members of the Senate, were. He didn't realize, and he should have realized, the backlash that we would have from 30% of the population of the United States who want to believe that white is right. If you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, hang around. If you're black, get back. And if you're red, you're dead. He didn't realize that a third of the population of the country really feels that way. He didn't realize what would happen as a result of 
not of his skin color. It is not about skin color. It is about ignorance. He didn't realize how ignorant our population is. If you want to change the situation, and if you want reparations, put them in the form of educating our educators and our lawmakers so that they educate for the truth instead of to perpetuate the myth. He was, he was trying to do that, and he got some things passed because he did executive orders kinds of things. And just exactly. as this person is using executive orders to undo everything that President Obama did. And now you're going to see it. Before President Obama became president, I live in California in the wintertime because I'm not dumb enough to stay in this cold. But uh, when we first moved out there, you could, when you'd fly into Ontario, you could see the smog from L.A., from Ontario. Here's this gray cloud hanging in the sky. After eight years of Barack Obama's environmental policies, you could see the mountains. Mm-hmm. And it didn't stink when you came into Ontario because they had done something. They had moved all those dairy plants, those cattle, someplace else. I, I remember when President, Neg- President Reagan said, um, the major pollution in this country is cows when they fart. That <laughs> got cows from the gas from cattle. And I said, gas from cattle. And I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Until I flew into Ontario, and I'm, you know, we're 15 minutes from the airport, and I was like, what's that smell? I thought the people in front of me had a flatulence problem. And the man said, no, that's the cattle. We're flying over the cattle in, in Ontario. And we landed, and it was, oh, well, now, when you come into Iowa, we used to call Iowa beautiful land. But now, our former governor, Terry Braindead, well, it's really Branstead, but we call him Terry Braindead, told the farmers that they could raise as many cattle or hogs in confinement as they chose to. And so there are over several million hogs being raised in Iowa right now. And when I come back here from California and I open my windows, I think, oh, that won't work, so I shut my windows because the smell of hog manure is so absolutely ugly because of the number of hogs that are being raised under confinement in this state. People don't realize. You think one person can't make a difference? Do you think do you think this person in the White House has made a difference? He's only one person. You need to realize one person can make a difference. And every person watching this has to read Robert Rice's book, The System. The System. Who rigged it and how to fix it. And when you read that, you will be absolutely infuriated at the way we are being used by the trillionaires at the business roundtable. And Mr. Trump listens to them, and they know exactly what to tell him to do. And he's doing exactly what they tell him to. And if you really want to know what's going on, get the book, When at Times... The Mob, M-O-B, when at times the mob is swayed by Bert Newborn. Read it. And then you'll find out why Mr. Bobak, why this fool in the White House acts the way he does. One of the books in his bedside table, under lock and key, is the writings of Adolf Hitler. Now, for the last three and a half years, I've thought, this is Hitlerian. This is the kind of yeah. things that Hitler did. And then you read that book, and that's the reason I feel that way. I'm not out of my mind. I'm not misinterpreting what's happening. What's happening is because he believes that if you want to rule, you do it, you take over the way Adolf Hitler did. And that's what he's doing. When you build a wall on the southern border of your country to keep those undesirables out, and he has said 
We can't have those brown-skinned people, dark-skinned, brown-skinned people coming into this country because brown-skinned people reproduce too rapidly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I live in California in the wintertime. Those brown-skinned people come across that border and do all the dirty work that has to be done (laughs) for small prices, and they aren't unionized. So don't tell me that we cannot have those brown-skinned people in this country. And in fact, in one of his, his hotels, of his many hotels, he hired immigrants, illegal immigrants, to work for him. And then yeah. says, we will put these, and we'll put these kids, these brown-skinned kids, in cages on the border. And all they want to do is get to have a better way of life. No, 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 no. You stay where you are, and we'll, we will not have, we will not be outnumbered in this country. We're going to keep, we're going to build a wall to keep people who aren't Americans out of America. <laughs> people, America isn't just the 48 contiguous states, Alaska and Hawaii and the islands on the southeastern side of the United States. Americans are all those people in North America, Central America, Latin America, and South And I remember when Dan Quayle said he was going to travel in the South. He said, my own, and they interviewed him, he said, before he went, he said, my only problem is, I'm really sorry, I never took Latin, so I won't be able to understand what they're saying in Latin America. And I fell out laughing. I said, he couldn't, he didn't, he said that. He didn't, he was, he was sorry he didn't take Latin, so you wouldn't be able to stand, understand what the people in Latin America were saying. It's like, oh, <laughs> and we, and obviously we kicked him up to his greatest level of in, inability. It's just like, how does he get to be vice president? What if, what if, what's his name? He had died and he'd have been president. He couldn't do that. He couldn't speak Latin. Oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> so, so should we be homeschooling? What, what, what should we be doing? Because clearly we're not going to get it as long as the curriculum exists as it is. Should we be homeschooling? You teach your children the truth at home. And then since your taxes are paying for it, you send them to school, but you send them with a different map other than the Mercator map that they're using because in, on the Mercator map, I'll show you, because I've been chastised by the person who writes the other map because he says this is an evil map. Well, if you're using a map like this one, which we do in the schools all over the United States, if, if you're using a map that shows, see Greenland right there on my finger? If you're using a map that shows Greenland larger than South America, you ought not to be using that map, people. <laughs> you use this map, and then at the bottom of it, on most of them, which, depending on which country, country, company, company prints it, at the bottom it says, South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. That's what it says in writing. But here's what you see. You see Greenland larger than South America. Oh, now, does wow. this make sense to you? Yeah, and on this map, look at the size of look at the size of Canada here. Look at here. Here's Canada. Canada on this map stretches from hell to breakfast. Look at here. From clear, <laughs> clear up to here. Canada isn't that big, people. Wow. Are you, yeah, it, you need, and on this map, the equator is two-thirds of the way down the map. But if you look carefully at the map, the lines between the the distance between the lines of latitude, uh, longitude, uh, latitude, I'm sorry, latitude at the top is this great. And in the middle, it's this, this much. So those South American countries, those countries in the Southern Hemisphere, 
get smaller as you look at the map. All those get smaller. All the countries in the northern hemisphere are bigger. Now, if you're going to use a map that shows the equator two-thirds of the way down the map, you can't teach the word hemisphere because a hemisphere, hemi means half. That's half a sphere. You cannot teach the word hemisphere if you're going to use this map because the top half of that map is two-thirds map instead of a half of the map. <laughs> this is the kind of garbage that we use in schools, and we've been using that map since sometime in the 1600s. There are better maps out there. Find one. So, Miss Jane, is racism essentially mental health issue? No, no. Racism isn't a mental health issue because it causes mental health problems. No <laughs> doubt about it. Because if you base your self-image on the amount of a chemical in your skin, you need some retraining. Okay. It isn't crazy to be a racist in this country because racism is a profit-making position. You need to realize that racism is a moneymaker. As long as we can put young black males in prison and make them work eight hours a day, pay them 22 cents an hour, and then what the money they make goes to the victim of their crime. Now, if you are president of the United States, your name is Bill Clinton, and you put in place three strikes, you're out. You can put mm. thousands of young black males into prison, and then you can force them to work doing things like there, there are numerous companies in this country that depend on prison labor. You can get something made on, by prison labor and pay a lot less for it, and they don't have a union. And when they come out, you can refuse to allow them to vote because they've been in prison. Now, they may be in prison. Their third offense may be something like walking on the wrong side of the street or driving without a license. Oh, my God. Or even, or even owning a car. It's dangerous for a young black male to own a car because he gets followed oftentimes and stopped not because he owns a car, but because he's black and owns a car. Make no mistake about that. You need to realize that some members of the business roundtable know the way to make money is to maintain your, prisons, your prison population. You have to take a look at that, and you have to realize that it doesn't take much work for a young black male to get put into prison. However, once you get put in there because of three strikes, you're out, and the COVID-19 COVID is in the prison, you don't get put on house arrest in order to keep you from getting COVID-19. But four of the people, three of the people that were Mr. Trump's cohorts, illegally doing things that were illegal, and they pled guilty to it. They put them in prison, but now they put them out of prison, back into their homes on house arrest, so that they won't be endangered by COVID-19. Those thousands of black males who were put there because of three strikes and you're out are just as likely to get COVID-19, and they're going to stay right where they are. Now, if you want to talk about there's no racism in the United States of America, this is happening in the United States of America. And you need to realize, instead of calling this country America, call it U.S., because U.S., that's a word that says us. Mm. And it mm. means all of us. And what's mm. bad for my, and every one of us is, every one of you, whether you like it or not, is my 30th to 50th cousin 
because we all came from the same ancestors back there 300,000, 500,000 years ago. So we are all, you're all my 30th to 50th cousins. And I get really angry when some of my less colorful cousins abuse my cousins of more, who are more colorful because of my less colorful cousins' ignorance about skin color. That makes me really angry because I think if you think you're superior, then by God, you better start acting it. You can't say you're superior while you are destroying the lives of people who don't look like you. Facts. 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 Yeah. We want to yeah. play a game with you. Wait, but before, before we do that, can we get the name, the, the name of the book? What, that, what, I, what I think we should probably do is, is make sure we can, we can reel it back and we can post the names of the books so that everybody can get it off the website. So when the, the one you have to get is Robert Reich's book, The System. The System. That's the name of it. And you okay. need to get, no, but you have to get When at Times the Mob is Swayed. When at Times the Mob is Swayed by Bert Newborn. And you have to get the, the Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. You have to get this book and read it, people. You don't understand why you are being forced to do the things you do because you think they're doing that for our own good. No, they aren't. They're doing it because they don't know any better. The people who wrote those laws didn't know any better. They believed in two or three different races. And you have to get Nathan Rothstein's book, The Racial Conditioning of Our Children. Those four books you have to have. And you, you need also, because you don't understand what, particularly women, black women, and white people of all kinds, need to get The Rage of a Privileged Class by Ellis Coles. It, and if you don't read any of the rest of it, read the chapter that is entitled The Dozen Demons. Ellis Coles, Rage of a Privileged Class, is absolutely brilliant, and you have to read The Dozen Demons. Then... And I don't get anything out of this. I do not get paid for selling books. This book is a book about what the blue-eyed, the blue-eyed brown-eyed exercise and, and the class divided is a description of the first one that ABC filmed and then the second one when they came back for the reunion. And then the Iowa Department of Corrections hired me to do the blue-eyed brown-eyed exercise with a group of their employees. You have got to read this book. And you read the last two chapters. And in the last two chapters, Bill Peters, William Peters, who wrote that book, relates what the little kids did to what the, high, to what the college kids did and then what the adults who are the prison guards or the peace and people who are running the Iowa Department of Corrections, how they acted, and the three things were all the same. Adults at the, and, and the prison system acted the... Those who run the prison acted exactly the way nine-year-olds did when they were on the bottom and when they were on the top. And when you read the kinds of things that some of those white women said to prove that they don't have a problem, one of them said, well, everybody gets suffers from, from some discrimination, and they just don't seem to be able to get over it. I thought, well, you simple B-word, how dare you? You haven't been able to get over it. You had it for an hour and a half. But you expect people of color to get over it, and they have it for a lifetime. You know, you fool, it's going to end for you when I leave town. Mm. But people of color won't know it won't end for them until all of the people who think the way you do die. That's, only, that's, the only, that's the only thing that's going to save us. 
unless we use this money that we're going to spend on reparations to repair the populace. We need to repair the populace because no matter how much money a black person gets and has to spend, he still will not be allowed to buy a home in a place where the people who own the land will not let them in because they are afraid of people of that particular color. So you can get all, you can pile money up, you can have wonderful bank accounts and have something to leave to your children. But if you don't re-educate the American mind, your children are, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are going to be treated exactly the way your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and your great-great-grandparents were. It isn't, the problem is let's use the money to solve the damn problem instead of using the Absolutely. money. And, and all that will do is make white folks feel guilt. That they'll do away with their guilt. See, we took care of them now. Now we can go back to, to reality. Now we can go back to treating them the way we always have, because we paid them off. No, no, no. Hey, look here. When, when we're talking about reparations, black and white folks are treating it like prostitution. We'll use you for the night, and we'll pay you off, so I don't have to speak to you when I see you on the street, because I know what you do. That's exactly what reparations are going to be in this country. Nat King Cole had to enter the lounges that he was singing in through the back door because they wouldn't let him come in through the front door because they didn't want people to see a black man coming in their front door because then people would think they would allow blacks to be in the lounge. That happened every place he went. You need to realize that this is... You can you can pile... I, I know lots of people with with money who still get treated as though they're just black people. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you, wow. Want, you want to realize that if white people like to pay you off. Because once they pay you off, then they can go back to treating you the way they wanted to, and they can say, we paid you off, what's your problem? So we won't teach the truth in school. We, pay, we gave you money. No. That's not what it's about, people. It's about changing the environment in positive ways for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're going to get a lot of angry mail. Uh, I don't care. You see, I won't have to read it. So don't send it to me, all right? And you need to tell and anybody who's listening to this, if you're going to send me a piece of hate mail, you need to realize that I'll simply delete it. Because I don't have to take it. And I don't have to take it seriously. Because if you're afraid to admit that your DNA, came, part of your DNA came from a country in Africa, you're too scared to shoot me. <laughs> mm. And if you want to do it, you better see me face to face before you think about it. Mm. Because we learned by killing Martin Luther King Jr., we learned by killing Martin Luther King Jr. that you do that, you make a martyr out of that person, and then you spend the rest of your life celebrating that person's life. Be smart, white folks. Don't kill me for what I do. Just change your damn behaviors. I don't care what you think. I care about what you do to my 30th to 50th cousins of color. And I want to stop. Not for, not for them, but for all of us. You can't call yourself truly human when you treat a group of people who also are truly human like animals. And that's what we've been doing. And it's time to put a stop to it. But you won't stop it until you recognize it. And t- you won't stop it until you take responsibility for your piece of it. And you go on my website, download the printed learning materials, go through the typical statements, realize that, yeah, you've heard those before, and then check those that you have said, 
and then read the, the uh, clarifications of those statements, how they are heard by the person that, whom you're talking about, and then you'll say, well, you gave us a lot of problems, you didn't bring the same solutions. Go to the next page, which is a set of commitments to combat racism. Go through it, check yes, those that you have done, check no, those that you haven't done, then go back and circle one that you check no, put the date beside it, and decide to do it for a month. If you do that with every one of those commitments at the end of the time that it takes you to do that, you will have changed your attitude, you will have changed your behavior, you will have changed your vocabulary, and you will have changed your friends. Because mm. a whole lot of those friends will not want to speak to you after you say to them, don't say, when I see you, I don't see you black. And number one, you're a liar. And number two, you're saying there's something wrong with the person's skin color. And don't expect them to say, thank you, you damn dummy, for telling you, tell, for you telling them that you don't see the largest organ on their body. Give me a break. You lose a lot of friends saying things like that. Mm-hmm. And people say to me in the last, the, last three mo- the last month and a half, how does it feel? How do you feel about this social isolation? I say, mm-hmm. oh, well... I've had it for 52 years, ever since the first exercise. I've been socially distanced. Nobody will speak to me. My mother kicked me out of the family after my father died because I was an embarrassment to her. So, hey, social distancing, give me a break. I've lived with that for 52 years. I find that it's not, it's not as onerous for me as it's for, as it is for people who like to have conversations with other folks. Hmm. Hmm. Last before you go... Jane, we want to do what we call a word association game. And okay, go for it. Yes. I'll say five words and then Javon will say five words. And the first thing that comes to mind, you say it. Ready? Cousins. Wow. Love. Nonsense. Most misused word, most misused word in the English language. Have no time for it. I don't, you know, it, that word that word has been misused to the extent that it has no meaning anymore. I love my husband. I also love a day in June. I could give up a day in June. I wish I hadn't had to give up my husband. So I really have a problem with people who say, I love everybody. No, you don't. If you loved everybody, if everybody loved everybody, we wouldn't have racism in this country. What's your next word? Sexism. Sexism? I feel sorry for men. They die young. Women live without them for many years. The last five to ten years of your lives, white women, you will live without male companionship. Sexism is bad for men. It's bad for women. But women have it better. All the, the, most of the benefit from affirmative action problems came to white women. Sexism? Yeah. We use men and we lose them. Particularly particularly in the case of black males. When we have a war during wartime, we send them to war, perhaps to die. During peacetime we make war on them in this country. Wanna talk about sexism? I don't think you do. Next word. Feminism. Feminism? Well, I'm I really like being female. But I don't think feminism is another one of those words that is used for the benefit of white women. Make no mistake about that. 
We let black women suffer, and we take their children, and we abuse their children, and they, we kill their sons and their husbands, or we imprison them. When the women's movement was at the top of the scale, it was undoing the civil rights movement. We put all our emphasis on the women's movement. And when it first started, it was primarily a white women's movement. They might as well have been wearing signs that say, black women need not apply. Many black women are in no better shape today than they were before the women's movement because they were excluded from that for the most part. And if they weren't, you have to explain to me why so many black women are living in substandard housing in this country and why so many of them have no no wealth to leave to their children. And it's not because they're lazy and it's not because they don't know and it's not because they don't want to be educated. It's because we have a racist society. Make no mistake about that. What's your next word? My next word is a is a person. C T is what? Is a person. C T Vivian. Oh God. Oh God. I met that man in Waterloo, Iowa, my husband and I did, after I did the blue eyed brown eyed exercise. I have never in my life met a man who was as gentle and as real and as educated and as caring and as human as C.T. Vivian was. It was awful when we lost Martin Luther King Jr., but I figured we've got C.T. Vivian. He's gonna, he's, we're okay, we've got C.T. Vivian. And then I found out that he died last week. And I, I really... I really have a hard time with that because C.T. Vivian was a special human being. He wasn't, he wasn't a showcase. He wasn't a showman. He was just doing what he felt was right to help us to change this situation. I had nothing but admiration for C.T. Vivian. We couldn't, we couldn't destroy his reputation because of the way he behaved because he behaved, as far as I was concerned, he behaved like such... A gentle man. He was just fabulous. We didn't pay enough attention to him. And he was there 15 years before Martin Luther King Jr. started working. Facts. Facts. Okay, Javon, you're up next. Thank you. Children. Children. Mixed blessing. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted him. I got them, and now I have two great-grandchildren, and I'm tickled to death, but that was hard work. (laughs) (laughs) Education. Education is a lie. I believe in education, but I don't believe in indoctrination, the opposite of indoctrination. In this country, unfortunately, it equals indoctrination. Religion. Oh, sorry. Religion. Religion. A great controlling tool. It's a great tool to control people. You can you can use religion to perpetuate racism. All you have to have is a white Jesus hanging from a cross and a little Pillsbury Doughboy lying in the manger manger scenes during Christmas season. And that nails it down. There he is. There's a little Pillsbury Doughboy and that's what Jesus looked like. I, I challenge somebody to get a black doll and put him in that manger scene. And see what Christians do. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Money. Money. Another great tool for controlling people. 
It's a wonderful tool. And because it's such a wonderful tool, we limit its possession by certain people. We make it available to certain people and keep it from other people because it's a great controller. Family. Family? Yes. I'm a member of the family of man. For me, the family is every human being on the face of the earth is a member of my family. And if you don't like it, that's tough. That's the way it is. Don't abuse members of my family. Because family to me is not just the my parents, my brothers and sisters, or my children, and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Family is every human... If you're a member of the family of man, you have the same rights as every other member of the family of man, period. We want to thank you so much. Um, A couple of things. Um, Can you tell everybody your um, website and how they can learn more about you and do... You can uh, go to my website, Jane at JaneElliott.com, but I am not going to put out there but the other website that I have because I don't want hate mail on the website from which I do business. I won't do it. I don't need that. It's absolute. That's just like giving them, you know, give somebody a sword and they'll turn it on you. And that's what will happen with my website. I don't need it. I get right. call, I don't get calls in the night anymore because... Telephone calls, you know, long-distance telephone calls cost money. So people are more more careful about that. But they aren't careful about Facebook, and they aren't careful about what they put on on, on my uh, email address. So if you use the old one, and if you're going to say something nasty, realize that I'll just delete you. I can delete people who are racist. I don't have to read their writings. And also, we will need a drop from you, if you would be so kind. Um, Hi, this is Jane Elliott, and you're watching Brunch in the Basement with Javon and Therese. Or you can just say, hi, this is Jane Elliott. You're in the basement with Javon and Therese. Is that what you want me to do now? Yes, ma'am. Hi, this is Jane Elliott. You're in the basement with Yvonne and Therese. That's good enough for me. (laughs) <laughs> and when is lunch being served? I want to know. Yeah, yeah. You tell me I'm having lunch in the basement. You don't let me go up on the first floor. You make me be in the basement. And then you don't feed me after you tell me I'm invited for lunch. Uh-huh. You better change that statement. <laughs> You're feeding up. This is, this is- here, here. Okay, we're having lunch, and what we're getting is food for thought, Right. I'm giving you food for thought. And I furnish the food and you make me do it in the basement? Okay, well, that's all right. That's all right. In the, bas- in the basement is you is better with you than on the 15th floor in a Trump Tower. Well, thank you so much. Thank Amen. Hey, so women. Hey, women. I love you, cousin Jane. I love you, love you, love you, cousin Jane. And thank you so much for spending time with us today. You're most welcome. Thank you for calling me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a, a great rest of your day. Okay. So you too. You have a great rest of my day. All right. Bye now. Bye. Bye. She's fabulous. She is amazing. And you know something? So well-versed and um, silky. That was a, a, a hit out the park. You know, and thank you. You know, it. it I. I. Woo. 
I, I got jumped in the beginning, man, because you know that that she she gave us all some resources. You know, um, we got the color of law, the system, the racial conditioning of our children, the rage of a privileged class, a class divided, so many others. And also, if you want to check again, you can, when this video is posted on our YouTube channel, which is WJBR Internet Radio, all of the books, you will be able to use it. And please share it because this video is going to be up. You can go back and reaudit any book you don't have. Where is lunch? Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a great, great sound bite. I am super excited. I know. She gave it to us, right? (laughs) I love her. I love her. Can you imagine a person that sits and has all of her resources at her arm's reach? Like, she wasn't missing a beat. She was pulling books as she was talking. That is an educator. That is what we need in our country. She was giving you jewels, and then she turned around and gave you a fact check and a reference and told you, look it up. And shout out to Juanita, my mother, for one of the things that used to frustrate the hell out of me was when, but, but, you know, something that made me a better person today, because anytime I wanted to know something, she'd say, look it up. Or she'd say, when I I wanted to spell something, she said, sound it out. That's such a, such a fundamental way of teaching because you employ the person to seek knowledge themselves. And then after a while, they do it and they just don't ask anymore. You know, they do it for themselves. The idea is to teach people to fish people. Please. I'm, uh, I was ecstatic about today's show. Um, and uh, that is more of what we need in this world. Love, 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 love. Thank you, Cheryl. Love you, babe. And thank you for all people hanging out listening today. Um, this for me was a very, very special moment. Thank you. Silky smooth. I can't say it enough. <laughs> Everybody who hung out, you know, we normally get to the chats and chat you guys up. And, you know, it was just too much because when you can't get Jane going, she's quite like myself. <laughs> you get you, you get her, you give her, you get her going and she just keeps going and going. But we appreciate her. And it ain't too bad if you know some philanthropists to say, you know, we need to start the Jane Elliott School for Educators. That wasn't a bad drop. I think that's something that, you know, we need to really, really look into. And have some more institutions that we can be teach we can teach people the truth, you know. And, and, go ahead. No, what I what I all I was gonna say is that you know when it comes to reparations, what she said is exactly what I've been saying, is, yeah. which is education. Because if you give someone who's poorly educated a house, um, money or or something like that, they're not going to appreciate it and be able to keep it they're going to lose it um Mm -hmm. i was actually told that my family had their their 40 acres um that it went to my great-grandfather after my great-great-grandfather who was the last freed slave in the family um Mm -hmm. after he passed it down and my my great-grandfather had five sisters and when he died, he died young, about in his 30s. When he died, the land went to the sisters, but the sisters were not educated, and they were ignorant. And mm-hmm. and the government bought the 40 acres from them for $500, 40 See? acres of land, okay? See? So I've never been a proponent of reparations in terms of give me something no give me the truth not me per se because i'm i'm gonna seek the truth you understand Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm not gonna believe the lie that black is inferior Mm -hmm. although Mm -hmm. 
some of that is ingrained in me and I fight it. You understand? Mm-hmm. I think a piece of it is ingrained in all of us as much as we're like, yeah, well, I'm this. You don't, you don't, you don't hear white people saying white power, unless they're racist, but you know, the average white person doesn't walk around with that. I'm white because they're white. They already got it. They already know. They they are. You know, we have to teach and empower the babies from babyhood, the truth, with the truth. When you watch the videos of Jane's exercise mm-hmm. and you see what happens to those children in a matter of of minutes. Amazing, right? It's, yeah. it's it's mind blowing. If you mm-hmm. see those those videos of of a little a little black girl and you give her two dolls and ask her which one you want, she reaches for the white one. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. still in 2020. Then mm-hmm. that we need to mm-hmm. fix that with the truth and only the truth. Reparations is mm-hmm. the truth, and if they're not going to give it to us reparations as in educating our babies with the truth so that generations will be empowered by the truth mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. then we have to give it and like and you said people think i think that i think it becomes our responsibility yeah to change the the school systems as they speak because educating us is one thing but we also have to educate others that don't know about us absolutely absolutely and and the biggest piece in that is because you know that was that was in in essence my my dilemma you know and i'm going to shout the lady's name out because she's super dead right now but miss Ayers of ludlam school long island hempstead um real talk like that was my first trauma my first traumatic experience as a kid because she told me I had to leave class because when she was teaching about Columbus, you know, we had the raising of the hand system. So I raised my hand and I said to my mother told me that Columbus didn't discover America, that people were already, that's not true. She absolutely lost her mind Mm -hmm. to the degree that, you know, it was just, you told me I was uh, interrupting the class and had to leave and yada, yada, took me out of the class. At that time, they were paddling kids in school, and I stood there mighty with my fist ball because I wasn't trying to get a paddle. And, and so that's all traumatic. And I didn't get the paddle, but they did call my mother. And I just said, you know what? And I told her why I was put out of class or why she had to come get me. And, and she had to then take, take me and teach me that that is what's going to happen. And she didn't refrain from saying that, you know, uh, she didn't get on me or anything. She didn't, she didn't, what she did was she taught, she brought me home and she told me that it was the truth and everybody may not know the truth, but that doesn't mean it's not the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there was another teacher that I think heard about it and, you know, certainly came to me the next day to check on me and was very, very, she's a fly teacher. She's uh, and she uh, took me away and then got me involved in uh AC, what is it, the AV squad, audio visual squads, where you learned about projectors and stuff. And then that's where I saw the actual blue eyed, brown eyed experiment because she showed that to me and we talked about it. And it wasn't anything she beat up on my head. She did it casually. And I was like, well, I want to meet this lady. Where does she teach? You know, where is she? I need to be in her class, you know. And she made me feel better about it because my mother refused to let me believe Columbus did anything other than. 
Yeah. Walk somewhere and colonize. Um, yeah. But <laughs> what we know he did. Yeah, yeah, but at the end of the day, and now, you know, when I went to look for Miss Ayers, let me tell you how far trauma goes sometimes. When I went to look for Miss Ayers years later after the truth started coming out about Columbus's ass and what they were teaching you in these social studies classes, when I discovered she was dead, I was mad. I was like, really? <laughs> the incident? I was yeah, in fourth grade. You, so fourth that's, grade. that's nine years old? Third or fourth grade, I want to say. Yeah, about eight or nine. Yeah, she taught both uh, both uh, years, so it's probably third grade. Yeah, somewhere in there. And and so you know, and thank you so much for sharing that. You know, but that that trauma, it it's with you to this day. It's with you, oh, yeah. even though you know it's a lie. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, the course. impact of that lie. Yeah. And and oh, right, and yeah. and oh, so many, and and all of us can think yeah. of at least one example of something similar to that that stays with us although we're past it we we've we've grown above it most of us you know right. um some of us some of us use drugs and and alcohol to numb it because we right. don't know how to get past it that right. just that thing that 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 teacher did is just as brutal and just as traumatizing as any rape that Bad. someone from eight years old to their adult life carry with them and try to get through, get over, get past, try to prove that they're they're not that, they're worth more. You you understand what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. like this, our children are so precious. Right. Bad. Our babies and we are so precious. Mm-hmm. We. Mm-hmm. Us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know and and. Miss Jane Elliott, man, when she said that her mother put her out, that broke my heart because I don't, I mean, I, I understand what what happened and, and where she appears to be, mm-hmm. but that's trauma. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. guess what? Bullet worthy. And she knows it. She'll tell you in a minute. I need to see any. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to go to YouTube and look at that um, video from last year with her and Angela Davis, another one that I absolutely love. Um, Because she there's a point in the video where she asked for them to turn up the lights in the auditorium because they were in Houston, Texas. And she said she just needed to be able to keep her eyes on people moving in the audience, you know. You know, like like it's similar to a Malcolm X in the Audubon yeah. Ballroom. You know, you got to keep an eye because you know what you are saying. People, you know, people have run a a country and run things in such ways that when you provoke a spark in someone's mind to change, or you or you start to tell people the truth, that is the the most amazing thing you can armor them with. That's I think that trauma has triggered in me over the years. I see the effects of it. The effects of it is that I'm a straight talker. Um, um, I don't deal with people that are um, not really uh, in tune to certain realisms. When she started talking about the prisons and and mm. you know Clinton and you could say a lot of things, but let let's just hope they're rooted in truth. You know I say that all the time about the prison systems and how you know. That ain't nothing but another way of uh, uh, modern day slavery. Real talk, you know, the black votes absolutely matter. It's a great t-shirt, great t-shirt, great fact, you know. 
And it's just, it is what it is, man. And, and these are one of those moments that, um, you know, we just have, I do, by the way, have a list of, of things, you know, and money is on my sheet of reparations, but it's also, you know, what the money can do. And honestly, if I were paid, just paid the money, I would know what to do with it in terms of that. I would want to start a Jane Elliott, uh, uh, Angela Davis, you know, like school of philosophy, thought, and, and, and education so that people can come there, both black and white, and be educated. You know, um, people can come there. Humans can come there and be educated. You will find Native American studies and you will find African-American studies and you will find uh, what you, you'll find yourself you know, in there to help you understand the contributions of everyone. And, and we'll, you'll be taught things like, like financial literacy and the things that you really need after you leave. Because I don't know about you, but I haven't used algebra yet. I'm just saying. But, you know, like, but there's so many things that you'll learn and so much networking that the school, the schools could be so much more improved. That's why people don't really want to go to them. The kids are not, you know, some schools, you know, the kids are not, they're not, inspired because you because they know that you, their souls know you teaching them bullshit you know their souls know so it's time to change some of these books some of this record this some of this required reading you know and and start it don't don't start it in college start it when 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 they start going there right after they're able to be potty trained start teaching them things that matter to them start teaching them how beautiful their cultures are start, start teaching them things that make a difference in their in their uh lives you know like it just it just doesn't make any sense otherwise. You know, you want to cure something, you want to stop something, then that's where you start. And give me my house and 40 make acres and a mule. I'll take another house and I'll take the 40 acres. I'll take a damn mule if you want. I'll flip the mule, but you're going to give me that. You're going to give me money. You're going to give me whatever else it takes to be able to set some systems up where people have a snowball's chance in hell of being something different in this country designed them to be. You know, the United Fakes of America, we need change. We need change now. And if you know anybody that has a shitload of money, here's one way to start it. Re-educate the educators. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all about that education is key. Because that's something that's guaranteed to last generations. Because we are still children like slaves you know we are still um beating ourselves we are still light skin dark skin we are still stuck in house negro versus field hand we we are still um not where we could be doubting ourselves not being the best that we could be you know not supporting one another not loving on one another not understanding that we're all, all related and we're all special for all different reasons. And we're all beautiful in our own special way. We just all are. And we do ugly things and we make mistakes and we get up. And, you know, we don't, all of us, embrace one another and see each other for who we are. And and the other thing I just want to put out there before we, we end the show, because I, I feel you got more to say, and, and I'm just going to say this, that until 
black gay lives matter, black trans lives matter, black children's lives matter, black women matter, black elderly matter. This is not just a black man's fight, but black men matter. All black lives matter. Until all black lives matter, black lives don't matter. You know, all black lives matter. And that's that's my piece. And, and we need to teach the babies from day one. It kills me when people don't know who Shaka Khan is, but I'm going to leave that there. Oh, God. I'm, just, I'm not going to say nothing else. Everybody, thanks for rocking out with us tonight, um, today, rather. Enjoy your beautiful Saturdays. We are, are 25 minutes over running and well worth it. Exactly. And and y'all, y'all want to stay for the last few minutes as I try to play, if it'll come up, what I tried to play earlier that started getting a little, Let's go. you know, you know how the, the, the devil be trying it and <laughs> the devil was like it earlier, but we got her. We got her on and got it together. And, it, you know. it worked well, but and and so it's it's acting up right now, like it doesn't want to play. So right. that's all right. Maybe I'll start off. Actually, I I haven't even um tried to uh get a guest for for Wednesday. I've been so busy trying to secure and make sure that Miss Miss Jane is, is safe and and that we we get you know, that this goes off the way it's supposed to, but we'll work on Wednesday. Right now, we just, we'll just end it with goodbye because I can't do this, but on Wednesday, we're going to start the show off with Miss Jane's video. You can't stop this. Nah, nah, nah. Can't okay. stop the great. Oh, wait, wait. The internet. I think, I think I might have it. So let, let's see. Let's, let, let us see. They, Go for it. They be trying. Anyway, peace and love. Thank you, everybody, for watching and staying tuned. We love you. We love you back. This exercise and enjoy. I watched my students become what I told them they were. I watched little, wonderful, brown-eyed white people become vicious, ugly, nasty, discriminating, domineering people in the space of 15 minutes. I watched brilliant, little, blue-eyed, white Christian children become timid and frightened and angry and unable to learn in the space of 15 minutes. If you do that with a whole group of people for a lifetime, you change them psychologically. You convince those who are analogous to the brown-eyed people that they are superior, that they are perfect, that they have the right to rule. Did you learn anything this morning? I think I learned from the experience of feeling like I was in a glass cage and I was powerless. I realized this morning that there were very few times in my life that I've ever been discriminated against, very few. And you convince those who take the place of the blue-eyed students, that they are less than. How did they feel yesterday? Down like a dog on a leash. If you do that for a lifetime, what do you suppose that does to you? You find out that there are people of color who refuse to live down to our expectations of them. I'm now watching at the That exercise that I did based on eye color. 
being reenacted in the government of the United States of America. I've done this with people of all ages for the last 50 years. Think about that. Next year, it will be the 50th anniversary of the killing of Martin Luther King Jr. and the beginning of the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise. When are we going to learn? When are we going to put a stop to this? White people's number one freedom in the United States of America is the freedom to be totally ignorant about those who are other than white. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. White people are the free, and people of color have to be brave. I want this situation to change. I want it to be such that no black person has to have courage to get up in the morning any more than I, as a white person, have to have courage to get up in the morning. This is the most important book you or I or anybody else will ever read. I'm an educator. Every educator should refuse to perpetuate the myth of white superiority. There's only one race. It's the human race. Hey, NBC News viewers, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by... If I were, if I were black, they'd have killed me a long time ago. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.